Three cheers for the girls. Hip hip. Hip hip. Hip hip. For Actal Earthlets, my name's Conrad alongside my friend Fox. This is the 12th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering December 1977, progs 41 through 45. This week, we'll go to the moon with Judge Dredd and thrill along with the penultimate adventures of the first run of Mach 1. How you doing this week, Fox? It was great. It was actually uh, a really good month. Um, I liked a lot of the covers. Maybe not the stories, but uh, like, uh, or I should say, like what the stories about the yeah, the stories were. related yeah. to the covers because we're still yeah. doing. We'll get to it, but we're still doing the super covers this month. We're actually going to finish them about halfway through, where mm. the covers of Progs forty-one through forty-three are these sort of like science fiction stories that don't really that don't have anything to do with the rest of the stuff in the prog except for sort of a, a one page fiction story like in in oh. text in the middle of the, of the book okay yeah i'm against this idea i hate reading <laughs> um text in, words in a comic book yeah that's sort of like the opposite point of the medium but it it just it it, it angers me i'm not here to to read words buddy <laughs> You're going to see a dude punch another guy in the face or a shotgun put into a rubber ducky. Right, or just some guy in a motorcycle uh, with a baton, just baton a dude right in the face. Oh my god, in the mouth. Speaking of which, Thrill One, Judge Dredd. (laughs) So some good Judge Dredd uh, this month, or yeah, for this month. We start off with the, uh, continuing from last Prague, the uh, Mega City 5000, Raging On. Um, when we last left, a, bug, a couple of bikers had made it through the Judge Roadblock with Dread in hot pursuit. It's Dread, sort of a red shirt judge, and Judge uh, Giant mm-hmm. in hot pursuit of the last two, basically, members of the, uh, of the race. The, like, everybody else gets eliminated early on, and then it's just Spacer and uh, Harvey, Rotten. <laughs> who is uh, I mean, just one. like an ape of a man he's incredibly hairy he's got one of those helmets with the spikes on the top it's good times but so yeah spice and spakes sir and two judges dread dread and giant hunting him down dread takes down spacer by clubbing him in the face as right they in the teeth yeah as they ride through a uh, futuristic mall including a really awesome part where uh they knock over this guy with a, birth- with a birthday cake, which I was appreciate. Yeah, just like really just shove his face in it and then smash the back wheel of Judge Dredd's tire into him so that he just plunges into his cake. Yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> Dick move. Um, it ends with Giant taking down Spikes, the last guy in it, by playing chicken with him and then jumping off his bike the last second and the bike on autopilot smashing into spikes and like um, killing him. He tries to crawl to the finish line, but dies before he can actually cross it. Yeah. So real quick, and maybe this is just something that comes up later. What the hell is a beacon? I don't know. Um, Because that's like what they were driving for, and everyone knew what the beacon was. Yeah, I think it's just a thing you touch, and then it um, lights up or something. I think we'll actually... um, We'll see some more of them, I think, in the next in next month's progs when we get hmm. some more moon stuff. All right. Yes, but speaking of which, in the next prog, or sorry, also I want to say um, this in the big moral. This one is that uh, judges rule okay, which is um, a fun something something they say in two thousand eight in early two thousand eight a lot. But I don't get judges it. rule. Well, no, just. There's a big, apparently some graffiti thing in Europe where someone says, uh, someone like blank rules, comma, uh, okay, that I had never heard of until this point, but we're going to see a, a lot of it <laughs> among various punks and thugs in the course of 2018. All right. So, I had no like, idea. Yeah. So, like, Spikes, before he dies, shouts, Muties rule, okay, which mm. is his, um, his gang. So, we're going to just, just keep an eye out. It's something to keep an eye out for. Okay. So in the next prog, uh, we learn that Judge Dredd is off to the moon 
apparently the three cities, the, the three mega cities in America, um, which is Mega City One on the East Coast, Mega City Two on the West Coast, and then uh, Texas City. In, which uh, is Texas. awesome. I love how it just calls itself that. Yeah, they don't care. Um, but apparently, they they appoint a marsh the uh, marshal of the Luna One colony on the moon, and each city provides a marshal that is sort of the, in charge of law enforcement in that colony for six months. And Dread has been chosen to go, so he packs up his Luna Law books and makes the trip. And so begins, as we will find, a whole lot of Walter. Well, yeah. I mean, naturally, Walter the Wobot uh, stows away to join to join Dwed on his moon journey. <laughs> as uh, he the, uh, leaks a lot of oil, he you know he sort of cries by leaking oil from his view screen and stuff. <laughs> as the uh, shuttle that Dread is on approaches the moon, and missiles fired, and Dread has a ship jettison a cargo pod to detonate the missile early, and they're safe. It's like then, a bunch of toys. Yeah, well, of course. Or I think it's just sort of general. Yeah, it looks like it's like they, they sort of show this luggage by there being like a teddy bear and stuff in there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, man. Uh, then when they arrive at their quarters, a service bot named Fred One shows up, but he's actually a murder bot who tries to axe murder Dread. Someone clearly doesn't want Dread to be the Luna Marshal. I thought you could you couldn't program robots to hurt people. Nah. <laughs> All right then. It's just when they it's just a problem when they disobey their programming and they start hurting the people you don't want them to hurt. You know. Ah, uh, okay. When they when you do want them to hurt people, then they're just following their programming. That's funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good logic. Uh, yeah. Totally. Hey, whatever. <laughs> Speaking of which, a robot gunslinger is now after Dread. <laughs> And we learned that um, Luna Marshalls get sweet get sweet cloaks, so we see Judge Dredd and all of his deputies with awesome with awesome cloaks, including his uh, main deputy, Judge Tex, who, by the way, is a total wimp. Yeah, well, you know, or at least like someone who's not going to put his neck out for Dredd. Nah, he he's not going to sacrifice himself or whatever. But yeah, so Luna judges have sweet have sweet capes, and they have hover bikes, which is also awesome. It is pretty cool. They come in handy a lot, and I'm wondering why they don't use them on Earth. Um, the low gravity of the moon allows them to use the hover bikes when they couldn't use them on Earth. Mm. But, like, the moon's really weird because I, I guess a lot of it is in domes, but you can't really see the domes, so it just kind of looks like people are, like, living in, um, or just hanging out outside of, the in, in the moon, which is basically like, like an old west frontier town. <laughs> Which is hilarious, by but the way. But also with, like, grab boots and hover bikes and stuff. Well, like, one of the first things he does is, like, just walks into a bar, shoots all the liquor because liquor and drinking isn't allowed. Some people yep. get up, he kicks the shit out of them, throws them out a window, and then eventually just, like, has to fight a robot. Yeah, well, they have guns in town. They aren't supposed to bring guns into town. Oh, that's true. They do have guns. They got illegal firearms, so he disarms them all. And then, yeah, Robot Gunslinger shows up. Dread outdraws him because Judge Dread is the greatest. Yep, he's pretty much a badass. But when the Robot Gunslinger dies, he fires a bunch of missiles that home in on Judge Dread. But not everybody else. It apparently is tracking his badge, like uh, as the uh, his marshal's badge. Yep. And while he imme- he immediately accuses Tex of trying to assassinate him. Um, it turns out that actually both the badge and the gunslinger were made by the evil Mr. Mooney, owner so, of Mooney Corp, the uh, most evil man on the moon. So this is what I mean when I say that I'm kind of upset at the judicial system in Judge Dredd because it's like, oh, you would think like they would make this stuff themselves. Like, they're super amazing guns. Do you think they farm that out to some company? Because then everyone would have the, like, super awesome gun that does everything. I think they, like, you know, have things built to their specific, their specifications and stuff. But, like, man, you can't expect the Justice Department to do things, to, like, to make stuff themselves. It's a government, like, organization thing. I guess. They sell it to, the, to like, the, the lowest bidder or whatever. You know, they don't, <laughs> there's not, like, a, a, a Justice Department like sewing company that like makes all the uniforms and stuff. They have like a just clothing manufacturer make them. 
I guess that's true. I just, I don't know. I feel like as soon as you find out a badge uh, that is specific to a homing bullet firing at you, I'd be like, hey, HQ, like, this company basically tried to kill me. And then be yeah. like, oh, you're Judge Dredd. We should shut them down now. It's definitely very circumstantial. That's true. All I'm saying, yeah, I guess so. Don't, but it's, You know, don't worry. We're going to, n- not right now, but Mooney's going to get his. I'll say that much. <laughs> awesome. But first, got to establish him as a bad guy. Or no, that's not. That's next. But first, we gotta have Christmas on the moon! Hooray! <laughs> Yay! Which is a really weird, ah, oh God, Walter story. Walter oh, goes out uh, Christmas shopping for Judge Dredd, <laughs> and as he does, he gets kidnapped by some evil guy in a Santa costume. He, uh, as Judge Dredd is basically at the Justice Department HQ in Luna One, giving judgment on people, like he he sentenced someone to six months of penal. So of a penal servitude for littering Merry <laughs> Christmas, you know. He gets a message from the kidnapper, Geek Gordon, who says he'll kill Walter if Dredd doesn't give himself over. As Tex objects, Dredd goes alone, and he arrives, but he arrives to find Walter uh, rigged with explosives. So he has to give himself up to the killer. Uh, Geek Gorgon then tries to cut his head off with a big hatchet. Mm-hmm. But Judge Dredd planned ahead, buddy. He's got an armored necklace. <laughs> Flexi steel or something to that effect. Yeah. Yep, the uh, the chopper breaks on his steel neck piece, and Judge Dredd kicks the crap out of him. It's, yeah, I, was he a previous villain? Nah. Really? This is like a brand new one? I think so, yeah. He's just sort of a uh, madman on the moon. Moon madman. Yeah, I guess so. Just wear some stuff. Um, in this comic, we learn um, uh, two things. The I first think, thing is hmm. that uh, Judge Dredd Super doesn't like Christmas, uh, but the second thing is that he does like Walter and says as much. He appreciates Walter's whatever. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know. And Judge Dredd just doesn't like any frivolity. You know, he's got to be out there on the streets. That's true. But so... They have a gift exchange. Well, Walter gets Judge Dredd uh, some long johns that say Judge Dredd on the butt. Which is <laughs> weird. And a uh, an electronic nose wiper that's sort of chin-mounted and has these robot arms with brushes that wipe your nose. <laughs> God. And Judge Dredd gets Walter a new drink dispenser tap. Oh, yeah. And he puts it in immediately because he's so excited. Dispensing those uh, drinks. Yep, that's his original function, if I if I recall correctly. Yeah, that's true. Anyhow, uh, Merry Christmas. That's that's all we can really say about that. I, it's actually pretty timely, um, given that you know it's the holidays when we're recording this. But yeah, especially when this thing posts. I think. Oh God. <laughs> well, um, to all of you, uh, the best they had for a Christmas something. Was uh was the Judge Dredd comic? That That's true. Up no other, no other. Um, or no, I guess Bonjo does, but most of the other pro, uh, sto- uh, thrills uh, ignore the Christmas message in this. We will um, speak not of Bonjo. We're gonna talk about Bonjo. It's not just yet. <laughs> uh. In the final prog, uh, we meet a random wage slave on the moon. <laughs> He's working for Evil Mister Mooney. Oh yeah, Mooney. Some yelled. questions about this, but yeah, yeah keep going. Moody yells at the wage slave and be like, you gotta do your paperwork by the end of the day or you're fired. Um, and the guy stays up all night doing all the paperwork and he gets a big stack of paperwork and all this that and it's all done. But at the same time, it's New Year's Eve. So a bunch of New Year's Eve partiers at the office in like costumes like come up to him and are like, hey man, like we're crazy jerks. <laughs> and uh, all of his paperwork gets messed up. Like, they are really huge jerks. They knew that he was, like, working super late, too. And he but makes they this, just fuck with yeah. him. And he puts just this huge, like, makes a six-foot-tall stack of papers in, like, his outbox. And this guy just knocks him over. And it drives the wage slave guy, Arthur Goodworthy, insane. Future mm-hmm. insane. He's, got, he's a footsie. Oh, God, he's nuts. He's going to just yeah. start bashing people with a club. He runs around uh, going nuts, and as uh, the year 2100 is rung in, this guy's son reports him to Judge Dredd. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. Dredd arrests him, 
but then uh, some of Mooney's thugs show up. With to, guns. Like, yeah, to like kill him because he's messed with, uh, he hasn't followed Mooney's orders. But Judge Dredd takes them out with his sweet hover cycle. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, and this and the uh, Footsie guy goes to get medical treatment for his insanity, his future insanity. And it's just about time for Judge Dredd to deal with Mr. Mooney. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, all in all, pretty good. The The big question I had on this one, and maybe it's just different on the moon, but I remember in an earlier Judge Dredd that, that he had made mention that was like, oh, man, they might be, like, cutting work hours by by another hour, making it five-hour five hour work weeks. Something, stuff yeah. Like that. But this guy is, like, obviously working day and night. Yeah, from what it seems like, um, the problems <laughs> that... Uh, Earth has that Mega City One has of sort of there just not being a lot of work for people and stuff and robots taking over for a lot of things mm. is not the case in the moon. The moon people have to work for a living, which is sort of a different, you know, what makes it so frontier and rough, I suppose. No. All right. That's neat that's, to me. That's my guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So all in all, I feel like really good thrills. Like yeah, this moon stuff's pretty fun, I gotta say. Yeah. Don't like techs. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's fun to see just a dude from Britsit, I guess, and or from from Texas City, I should say. Mm. And we're gonna start. And there's a really big plot line that's about to start on the moon. That's gonna be a big deal. Like the, oh, that's um, great. I'll tell you <laughs> that it's twenty. It's the year twenty one hundred. It's a year divisible by four. So it's time <laughs> for the um, Olympics to start, and they're being held in this city this year. And Man, we're going to meet those Soviet judges, and it's going to be Oh, there are Soviet judges? Of course. Oh, that's amazing. I don't want to get you too hyped up for it, because it's, it's not um, until we get it to January and stuff, but it's, it's happening. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> also, Judge Judd did not murder a lot of people. No, man, he mostly took people alive, actually. I think the big murders were robots this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even the... Uh, even the goons from Mr. Mooney were just arrested, I recall. Yeah, some to that extent. Like, but, but I, I mean, you know... I mean, that one that one dude, Spacer, is going to need a completely new mouth full of teeth. Yeah, but, and you know, for the I most part... the other guy's dead, but, yeah. Yeah, but mostly, you know, Judge Dredd will bring people to justice and have them be arrested and put in, and put in jail and stuff. He's not all about murder. Like, that's not his modus operandi. Oh, sure. It's yeah. just that a lot of people tend to make him play his hand on the whole shooting them thing. Sure. So, yeah. I, speak- a, I, I don't know. I expected a little bit of more murder. You know, I mean, that's how it goes. But speaking of people who, whose modus operandi is murder, <laughs> thrill to invasion. So, all invasion this week, or, or all invasion in December of 1977 is Savage and Silk on the run with the prince. Oh, it gets so great, too. Yeah, we start off with them sort of running into a Balmoral Castle, which is, you know, one of the big, like, sort of country homes of the of, of the British royal family. Yeah. It's, pretty, it's pretty famous for, like, its maintained um, deer herds and stuff. Oh, man, but awesome. We find out that the um, Volgans have been hunting those deer herds to extinction. Oh, the butchers. It's jerks. Like, they're, like, hunting them all down and not hunting them responsibly the way the, the royal family does, I suppose. Uh-oh. I <laughs> so, mean, yeah, they're definitely hunting. Yeah. So as the, uh, as our boys are sort of hunt, are sort of hiding in the undergrowth, they get found out and they run. They hide in a secluded area under a waterfall. That's one of like the prince's old uh, hiding spaces. Inside, they find like some shotgun shells, but they're only blanks. But... And this as, is the coolest kill. As Volgon hunters come after him, Savage takes the blank shells and mounts a big ass uh, deer skull on. It. Also, in the under the waterfall is like this big deer skull, like a, a twelve point buck skull or yeah. something, with like a big, you know, with yeah, with with a twelve point rack on its head, basically. It's nuts. And from as the Volgans approach, from underneath the waterfall, Savage fires, and this huge deer skull comes flying out and, like, kills three guys. <laughs> They're just impaled by this deer skull. And so then uh, Silk and, and Prince John grab the guns that they've dropped. They fight off the um, 
they fight off the Vogon troops and sort of escape. It's pretty awesome. It really is. And then, uh, you know, Savage gets a bit forward with his uh, with his snarky end joke at the end, which is like, oh, yeah, just invite me to your stag party. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, you are saving his life, and I'm sure he would extend a stag party invite, but just inviting yourself like that's kind of a dick move. Yeah, he asks them to be to invite him, you know. <laughs> that's true. Until then, you're stuck with Savage, which is also a little one. That's a pretty good one. I, I just, it's always so schlock. It's you gotta, amazing. Listen, you gotta have these, uh, you gotta have these post-kill quips. Otherwise, what's the point? I really, I mean, it would be, uh, I don't know, like, ineffective chocolate, if that In, makes any sense. Indeed. So after that, uh, we learned that the only, that, uh, Bill Savage only gives Vogues one thing, the business end of his, sh- of his shooter. Oh, God. On and the, the run- most awkward mug that they've drawn for him in a while. <laughs> On the run, the guys make their way to a traveling circus outside a bigger city. I'm They're- so excited for where this goes, by the way. <laughs> their safe house in the city is compromised, and they go in the circus to hide, like in the crowds and stuff. Eventually, they sort of run through the backside of the circus, and they find the bearded lady who takes out one of their pursuers. And it turns out it's big. It's big, messy, big, messy awesome. Karen. Yeah, the uh, the lady that came out of the water and, uh, and wrestled down Colonel Volgoska. She's hiding out in this um, in this circus as both the bearded lady and a um, and a fortune teller. And she loves the prince. Yeah, she gets super <laughs> smitten. It's super cute. And so she's part of the team. And she's going to help us get these guys out of here. It's really great. They're like super tired and super hungry, and she makes them some food, and they have a place to rest for a little while. Yeah, but the Volgons are sweeping the circus, so Savage and Silk go and hide inside the cannon of the human cannonballs. Oh, and is the prince like sick or something, or is he just injured? I think he just like passes out because he's so tired. He's not like a tough dude. He's fragile because he's like a prince, you know? Ah. Uh... But so because he's kind of basically unconscious, it seems like they hide him under... This table that Nessie sets up for her fortune telling act. Um, the after they search her uh, tent, <laughs> the Vogue captain gets his fortune told by Nessie as Savage and Silk climb out of the uh, cannon to investigate. The Volks find the print under the tent under the table, but at the same time, Nessie foretells of a tall, dark stranger arriving. It's Bill Savage! Oh, snap, he's going to shoot everyone with a shotgun. <laughs> the sound of the, human, of the human cannonball cannon covers some shotgun blasts, and the rest of the Volgs surrender, and Savage and Silk sh- uh, stuff them in the cage of a sleeping giant gorilla. So they make a noise that wake up the gorilla, and presumably the gorilla will, like, rip them apart, I guess? But it's time to scram, essentially. Seems like the right thing to do. Yeah. Also, At- gorillas are terrifying. I mean, you know, they're at least as bad as a polar bear, and we've seen what polar oh, bears God. <laughs> so, Savage, Nessie, Silk, and the Prince are all planning to make their escape. As they do, the ringmaster of the circus sort of sees them, and Volgons are pouring into the circus trying to find them. It's a Sav- lot in the shot, like a lot of troops. Yeah. Savage runs for the big top, and... As other Volgons uh, oh, follow him, he swings from a trapeze, shooting everybody in the face. <laughs> it's really good. And he's singing the trapeze song. That's right. Flies through the air with the greatest of ease. The Wait. daring young man shooting Volgs from his trapeze. <laughs> <laughs> it's but, really strange. But that dastardly ringmaster gets him in the neck with a, uh, with a whip. It's that evil mustache. Yeah, and so Savage is at the Volk's mercy. Things look bad when suddenly, boom, a big a big rig crashes through the wall of the tent. It's uh, Nessie driving the prince with silk on the outside, shooting people down from the uh, from like the side runners. Oh, and by the way, payoff, uh, Nessie is the one driving because, by the way, she used to be a truck driver. Absolutely. Just yeah. like Bill Savage, which yeah, is where late, he met her. Yeah, Lady Lori driver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... The ringmaster tries to throw a throwing knife at Savage, and uh, Silk just shoots him right in the face. <laughs> and <laughs> really, oh yeah, 
No, like, and you see his head ripping backwards and the blood shooting out of his neck and face. It's crazy. Uh, they take down the tent, which uh, gives them a chance to escape, and they're on the road. Nessie and Bill, Bonnie and Clyde of 1999. So awesome. Uh, the last frog is uh, Savage and the guys rob a bank, like like a Volgon bank, <laughs> to fund the resistance and get the prince out of England. The high point. Weird. It's like a it's a weird kind of bank job where it's just kind of like everybody just shows up with guns and takes all the money, you know. Yeah. There's a the real high point is a tank tries to stop them, but then um It's like, like a super tank too. Yeah, but luckily um Nessie was planning ahead and is disguised as like a traffic warden with a bazooka and she just freaking bazookas this um, this tank and they That's all escape. Really awesome. Meanwhile, back at uh, Volgon High Command Colonel Volgaska is brought out of the brig and says she has a plan to take down um, Savage and company. And to prove she's serious, she kills her replacement with her bare hands. And she's <laughs> given the uh, the right, or she's reinstated and is now given the, the ability to take Savage down. Which I guess, hey, you know, if you... He seemed a-okay with her just murdering that guy. That's how, man, it's an evil military and an evil military. <laughs> that's how they run things. Like, if you can kill the guy who's ahead of you, that that's how you get ahead, you know? You keep what you kill. Yeah, exactly, Riddick. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so Rose is back in, com- back in command and... The savage in the distance is theoretically in a lot of trouble. So yeah, it was a it was a really good run of invasion. Some really ridiculous murders. Yeah, man. The uh, just savage sitting on that trapeze, singing and just blasting people with his shotgun <laughs> is really the high point of this uh, of this episode or of this month of progs. I'm really happy about Nessie showing back up because she was an amazing, like, whoa, character mm-hmm. to just suddenly show up and then wrestle a woman, yep. which means we're going to have another wrestle fight. It's going to be great. It's going to be a lot um, of stuff. But then she blows up a tank with a rocket launcher. She just had lying around, which is the fun part. Yeah. <laughs> she just kind of, like, pulls that bazooka shell out of nowhere. She just seems like the female version of Bill Savage. She's just unstoppable. Definitely. Murder machine. Yeah, man. She's the, um, she's like the second strong female character of 2000 AD. Like it's her, (laughs) it's her and old one eye as like the two, the top female talent of this, um, of these comics. That's pretty true. God, I really hope she doesn't die soon. I really hope she doesn't fall into uh, a pit of spikes that, people from the 24th century set up to send meat back to our time. It's, it's, that was supposed to make sense. It didn't. It's it sounds right. so weird when you just lay it out like that. Uh, all I'm saying is that's that's part of how old one I died, which is weird. This yeah. whole comic book is weird. But uh, particularly great is that I like that they're bringing Rosa back. I like where they're going with Invasion. Yeah. I like the stories. Totally. Oh, also... Um, I think, like, in the 30s, when Rosa and Nessie talked about how they were, they were going to kick each other's asses, that was when 2080 passed the Bechdel test, so it's good times. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. Oh, hey, sp- God. speaking of stories that don't make sense when you sort of lay them out, uh, Thrill 3, Future Shocks. Yes, there's only uh, three Future Shocks this month. Which I'm kind of thankful for. Yeah, they're sort of... They're very, they're varying quality, I think. Uh, yeah, the first, it's not consistent the, enough to be thrilling. Yeah, the first one is uh, rats or runts, I should say. Uh, yeah, it's the future. Two rats stow away on a grain spaceship, making a four a four year journey. <laughs> Omg! Now that ship's full of murder rats. <laughs> they swarm the earth, eating everything in their path. But eventually, as they try to eat humans, they die because their stomachs explode. And the moral is don't let your eyes be bigger than your stomach. Which, what? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, if it wasn't rats. I don't... Yeah. This you is know, gross. Yeah, it's weird. In Prague 42, a man uses a time machine to go back in time to see uh, caveman this was, dudes. This was stupid. <laughs> The caveman dudes threaten him, and he tries to go home. But uh oh, he doesn't. He's forgotten that his time machine was powered by the wall socket, 
which are in short supply in caveman days, so he's stuck in the past and presumably is murdered. I just, it's so strange. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny, um, just that, oh, like... Yeah, definitely. They really they really sell it once you know the thing, too. They really show you, show you like, him plugging in the time machine and stuff. <laughs> like, okay. I see this, Joe. I, I see this coming. <laughs> this is, uh... It was just so bizarre. Yeah. And then Prague 45 is a bit, a long one, actually. A uh, dude mm. flags down a cop car. He explains there's a uh, computer-controlled murder car on the loose. <laughs> and it finds them, and the cop's like, oh my gosh, like inside this car, there's a guy that was, that was zapped by electricity and fried alive. And the car's like, yeah, and I'll zap you too. And he does. He zaps the cop. And he also zaps the cop's car. Which turns it into a uh, thinking, talking murder car as well, and it ends sort of ghost story like, like um, you know, from that day, if you ever see a Ferrari driving down the road, give it a wide berth because it might be a freaking murder car. Which this one was my favorite. It's pretty creative. From yeah, I mean, it's not the same old stuff. It's sort of like, all right, like this is an actual. Like, you could actually do a movie about this. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, whatever. It's uh, Knight Rider meets uh, Jason Voorhees. Exactly. Or, or I'd say uh, Christine, right? The, oh, uh, yeah. The Stephen King story about the murder car or whatever. <laughs> I didn't know you did that. Yeah. All right. That's like yeah. a classic one. Learn something new every day. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, or that wear car episode of Futurama, too. That's sort of a similar thing, too. <laughs> Just naming Didn't, murderous cars. I don't know if I saw that either. <laughs> I yeah. know, man. I, you gotta pause this podcast and sort of bring Fox up to date with some popular culture. I, so many people have so many things for me to watch. I still have only watched half of Point Break. <sighs> You're at 50% pure adrenaline, Fox, and that's really sad. <laughs> you don't even get that. All right. <laughs> Anyhow, let's go on to non-thrills, covers, letters, and Bonjo from Beyond the Stars. Uh, so, uh, Prog 41 on the cover. There's giant monsters that I think are being like kept at bay by feeding them candy. But yeah. suddenly they taste, they, they run out of candy and they've tasted human flesh and that tastes way sweeter. Oh yeah. They're eating people now. Yeah, it's bad. And they're giant monster guys, so it's like a whole thing. <laughs> so also, so in Prog 41, we start this thing called Bonjo from Beyond the Stars. It's a uh, it's a comic strip. It goes from between a third of a page to a full page, based you know mm. from it, from Prog to Prog. Um, it's like a giant monster lands in China and <laughs> heats everybody, and that and that's it. Yeah, and he, um, then he says some kind of like. Weird shit about eating Chinese food that then you're hungry again in an hour. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a long-standing joke, I think. Really? That, yeah. That I've like, never heard that before. Really? Yeah. I mean, man, maybe it's just racist where I come from, or something, or like we have more things about it. Yeah, that's always <laughs> like the that's the joke about Chinese food is that you eat, you know, you can eat a whole dinner, and then 15 minutes you're hungry again. Huh. I'm going to test that theory out soon. I mean... I like Chinese food. <laughs> oh, we, uh, we're interneting. Yeah, sorry, that's me looking up... Um, <laughs> looking up whether, whether this is actually a thing that exists or I just had it. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a long-standing joke. All right. All right. I mean, damn. <laughs> People say it has to do with MSG or something like that. I don't know. But Bonjo's weird. <laughs> Bonjo's pretty strange. He does yeah. eat a lot of people. Yeah, so in this case, yeah, he eats a Chinese city and then says the good thing about eating Chinese cities is after you eat it, you're hungry again in an hour. Um, in the letter section... For Chinese people. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. In the letter section, we get a fake letter from the Mekon and then a, 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 another kid asking for more Mekon. <laughs> um, I'm okay with Mekon in general, although I, I, I like our current Dan Dare storyline as well. Like, I don't see a need to get rid of the Star Slayers. Mm-hmm. In favor of the Mekon, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, wait it out and let him catch his breath, because they're going in a pretty nasty clip when we get there. Yeah. So, uh, Prog 42, um, on the cover, houseflies have been mutated to be, like, 15 meters long for, like, recreational pur purposes, I guess. What? 
<laughs> like to ride them and do like uh, mock dog fights and stuff with them. But then they turn evil. Yep. You know, that's how it goes. In uh, in the letter, we got some pictures of spacemen and spaceships. Yeah, the 10-pound winner, I mean, looks pretty good. Yeah, it's some moderate stuff. A kid asks how the building that 2080 is based in is also being Tharg's spaceship, how, how that works. Another tells Tharg, uh, oh, I've got this new hobby called skateboarding, and I think it's very fun. <laughs> and, wow. Uh, okay. Okay, skateboarder, kid. Huh. And then, uh, oh, go ahead. No, that's nuts. All it's right. interesting to see when skateboarding is invented. I guess you know. Yeah. Like it's very, it, I don't know what the timeline is. I guess I don't. I don't know when, when people started cleaning the cube or whatever. <laughs> um. <laughs> meanwhile, Bonjo's flattening people, and according to an ancient Chinese proverb, if a giant monster flattens your uncle, your uh, honored grandparent, you should fly them like a kite. So there you go. What the fuck? Yep. In Prague forty three. In the distant future of 1983, uh, a guy gets bored with his job sending signals into space to find aliens. There's reports of intruders around the base. He picks up the phone to call M, the head of security. But oh no, uh, the intruders are actually deadly aliens that are able to travel through electricity and it attacks him. So this guy has dialed M for murder. Because the alien... The alien murders him, womp womp, you know? And it's the creepiest of all the covers. Like, a phone with tendrils is, like, digging into a man's face and ripping yeah. it apart. It's pretty bad. In terms of just, like, oh, well, I'm terrified of this. Luckily, no one has to deal with those kinds of phones anymore because it's the future. <laughs> oh, God. I don't and know. Then, it's uh, super creeps. Yeah. It's, yeah, the big Cthulhu phone starts eating everybody. <laughs> um... In the letters, there's a pretty sweet drawing of a timeline coordinator lady. It's just like, I don't know, a, a lot of crazy drawing stuff. Mm-hmm. One kid imagines robot rock stars in the year 2052. Another complains about dads always reading 2000 AD before the kids. Boo! Wow. And uh, Tharg does not appreciate English cooking. Uh-uh. <laughs> really? And then uh, with Bonjo, a martial arts guy tries to uh, beat up Bonjo. Bonjo eats him. Oh, yeah. Seems to be how he fixes most of these problems. Indeed. In Prague 44, we stop having um, the future covers. It's just it's mostly a summary of the Judge Dredd Christmas story we just heard. Mm-hmm. With like Judge Dredd bursting in on this Santa guy with a Walter with a bomb on his head, essentially. <laughs> um, in a full-page Bonjo adventure, he eats a uh, choir at a Christian mission in China, and they keep singing Christmas carols inside <laughs> of his stomach, and he eats different stuff to try to get them to stop. There's a, uh, there's a feature, there's a, fo- there's a two-page photo feature for Star Wars here. It's super weird. It's better than the one in the, um, in the sci-fi special, just because everyone's named correctly and stuff. Oh, yeah. 75% better. Yeah. I mean, and like, they still focus on the first half of the movie, so there's a lot of, like, Jawas and Sand People and stuff. And they spell out C-3PO and R2-D2, like, C-E-E-T-H-R-E-P-E-E-O and stuff. It's weird. Yeah. Instead of, like, using just the letters for them. Uh, X-Wing, Fighters, and Star Destroyers are both incorrectly labeled, which is kind of funny. Rebel Fighter Spaceship. I just keep an eye out for this stuff, just because I have a friend who does this stuff for a living, like correctly naming all these uh, Lucas thing, all these uh, Star Wars things. So when it's wrong, I'm like, oh man, this really pissed my friend off. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, Walter interviews R2-D2 and it's just the worst thing in the world is it's lisps versus beeps. <laughs> oh man. Uh, in the letters pages, there's a 12 Days of Christmas parody about 2000 AD stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a picture of a sweet future bed. Yeah, which... Some of those screens are pointing away from where you're laying down, so I'm not... Yeah, it's not... I, I don't know if it's worth 10 pounds the way Tharg does. <laughs> uh, Tharg explains that he's quite safe from a robot revolt, and some kid's doing, like, proto-podcasts by, by having him and his buddies perform the scripts of 2000 AD as, like, little adventures on cassette tapes, which I thought was kind of cool. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Finally, in Prog 45, uh, it's just a big Dan Dare cover. Bonjo moves into the Himalayas and grabs some Yetis to use his snowshoes. 
in the letters section, a kid sends up an early smartwatch prototype that's sort of a little bit more Dick Tracy watch, really, but, mm-hmm. you know, basically smartwatch prototype. Yeah. And then another kid sort of asks Barg about galactic groats as it relates to British currency reevaluation <laughs> stuff. I don't, this is a British joke. I don't understand it. But I guess, like, it used to, they, they used to not have decimal money, Fox. Oh, oh. Like, so, like, you know. How do you? 48 farthings would get you a penny or so. I don't know how it works. <laughs> <laughs> but they rejiggered it in, like, the 70s. The decimal stuff, like we have here in America. Yeah. And so this kid's apparently making a, a galactic groats reference that's a, a joke about this. And I don't know. <laughs> Lost the time. It's too much for me. <laughs> An artifact of a of a bygone era, indeed. But speaking of an artifact of a future era, oh, thrill for Dan Dare. So we'll remember last time Dan Dare and his buddies were on the run from a bunch of uh, Star Slayer ships. Mm-hmm. They this time they escape by running silent and just hiding in like an asteroid belt, despite the um. The efforts of the crazy great bear who's been hit by the star slayer shining star weapon and brainwashed for their side uh the 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 team's still looking for more allies among the star slayer slaves they go to a planet called drone home to a bunch of crazy bug monsters yeah they're pretty gross looking yeah and after some initial difficulties dare manages to convince them to join the war against the star slayers Meanwhile, on Star Slay, the Dark Lord orders some traps set on various slave worlds. And back on the planet Drone, oh no, it's a trap! Oh look, there's giant tanks inside of these buildings that we've never been inside of. Yeah, well these bug guys live in big uh, hives, and some of the hives are apparently hollow and full of tanks, which is terrible. <laughs> it's terrifying, man. Yeah, the guys manage to take some out, but then the Shining Star arrives once again. Hitman knocks out Dare and puts a Star Slayer helmet on him, which has, like, shielded eye, eye deals. Yeah. So Dare is saved, but Hitman is hit, by, is hit by the star and is knocked out, frozen in a trance. So first bear, now Hitman. We're, we're running out of secondary characters on this story. Yeah, we're losing all of our A-list. Yeah, it's all backup guys now. So with everybody taken out, Dan Dare has to go on a solo mission. He does a solo deployment to a world full of gladiator dudes who are but, weird orcs kind yeah of? They're, they're 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 i wouldn't call them space orcs because that's a very specific thing but <laughs> if you kind of imagine a D orc as opposed to a 40k orc and put in the future then it's definitely that yeah they're using <laughs> laser swords they got yeah. laser broad swords oh man just cutting away at people yeah Dared attacks the Slayer guards and inspires a slave revolt, and it's gun versus laser sword. I like our chances. It gets pretty rad. Yeah, there's a cool slave revolt going with uh, laser broadsword and stuff. The Dark Lord sends the Shining Star again, which turns out we finally see to be a satellite that sends out hypnotic radiation to control people. Uh, Savage gives for it... cancer. I mean, it's mind control cancer. That's the good kind. <laughs> Savage gives a bunch of the of the warrior dudes like Star Slayer helmets to block out the light, and then yeah. tells the the Star Fort to come get them. But before he can tell them, like wait a few hours before the Shining Star moves on, uh, the Slayers cut the transmission and then send a different one, telling the Star Fort to come right away. Oh snap! And then yeah. they've got to hit the warp drive. Yeah, so the Star Star Fort warps right into the light of the Shining Star, and everybody, the whole Legion, is brainwashed by the Star Slayers. No! Yeah, they land and take Dan Dare prisoner, and now they're heading to the Star Slayer homeworld to be executed. Ah, dip. The Star Slayer homeworld. Star Slay. Yeah. These Star Slayers are consistent in their branding, and that's to be appreciated. (laughs) I suppose so. I will say I like I like this generic bad guy. I like his terrible mustache and beard and his, his mustache, eyebrows. He's got like a helmet that kind of like is like has like a Y shaped thing, but then his mustache sticks out of the sides of the helmet. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's it was made to make sure that those were accentuated, you know, <laughs> a little bit. Um, Dan Dare is good, but all of his A-list characters got completely robbed, and then just in like the turn of one episode, all of yeah. his just terrible people. Like Polanski's the only person, so he's like C-list. Yeah, 
and he gets uh, shining starred right away. And you know, I mean, he gets shining starred right away. Everybody's taken out. They'll be back pretty soon. I'm excited about this new th- this new Dan Dare story. Is going pretty good. It's got a lot of action. Uh, Dan Dare's sort of fa- like not like failing, but like you know, having a bunch of stuff. He's, he's having difficulties and overcoming them. He's not killing. He's not killing his own guys, which I appreciate. Like it's just generally good Dan Dare stuff. Yeah. Well, and the action's super consistent. Um, you're never just kind of sitting on your hands in the middle of an episode or a, like a prog. Yeah. Um, where it used to kind of drag on or just the things that he would do would feel very pretentious. In this case, you kind of feel him concerned about like the people he's working with, concerned about saving this um, system. Yeah, and his coat right. remains awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, his bomber jacket is always great, regardless of weather or uh, terrain. Exactly. <laughs> hey, speaking of bombers, Drill 5, Mach 1. God. So there's this space death ray, right, being run <laughs> by a nearby manned Soviet capsule. It destroys Mach 1's ship. He's been flying up to try to take it out. Uh, he survives the shot by the death ray and is able to transmit proof of it to, the, to Earth. But now it's time for a space fight. <laughs> uh, one Rusky, Makoi just straight up throws him just into the blackness of space. Like, have a good one. Dying slow in space, buddy. Yeah, it's horrible. Another guy he kills by just punching through his uh, his glass face mask of a space yeah. While he's out in the vacuum of space. Yep. Uh, he rips open the side of the, of, the, uh, of the capsule and stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> um... As he enters the capsule, though, it, uh, it turns out that it doesn't actually have any controls. It just gets directions from Earth and starts mm-hmm. to fly back to Russia. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we learn that the president's actually known about this all along. And um, it's like, ah, this is just a regular thing. Don't worry about it. And he has all of... Uh, <laughs> this is just a regular thing. Yeah, he's like, oh, we're building the space death ray, too. Whatever. This is just, you know, it's the Cold War. That's how it goes. Wow. Um, he has all the nuclear subs stand down and stuff instead of going to World War III like they were. They all do, except for one, which is lost communications because of the previous satellite destructions. Oh, snap. And it fires a single nuclear cruise missile into the Russian steppes at the military space base that Dan, that, uh, not Dan, Dan that uh, John Probe is currently landing at. Oh, oh. no. <laughs> What's going to happen? Yeah, so the nuke is launched as Probe lands on the Russian uh, capsule. He beats everybody up and runs, but sees that he's right near a Russian laser def- laser missile defense base. <laughs> so he might as well take take that place down while he's here. Whatever he uh, stows away on a co- on a convoy, enters the underground control chamber of the laser, and freezes all the personnel to death with liquid with liquid hydrogen coolant for the laser. He's a horrible person. Then he takes control of the laser and destroys the whole base by just shooting it with this giant uh, anti-missile laser. Yeah, he kills a bunch of people that way, too. Eventually, he escapes as the laser goes, overloads, and explodes with nuclear force. (laughs) Then, the cruise missile finally decides to show up. Oh, God. Probe jumps on top of the missile, and mid-flight, he reprograms it to fly him into international waters where he's picked up by a U.S. ship. <laughs> they take him back to England, where Sharp, his boss, is pissed, but hands over the thanks to the U.S. president anyway. He's, uh, that was a really, 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 really good episode. This one prog is one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it really is. Dudes are killed by being frozen to death, which I always appreciate. He rides a missile? <laughs> There's laser blasts? I don't know. I don't know what else you, what else you could wish for. <laughs> I mean, if you did wish for more, I feel like ah, it's just it's asking for too much. It's true. Too much of a good thing. <laughs> so after this, Probe um, is on guard duty and breaks up an assassination attempt at Buckingham Palace. By but... the way, I looked up Ramon Sola because I really love the art style of this prog. He does some really good art stuff. He... Uh... Like, he's done stuff for Flesh and for Shackle in the past as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he takes down... So Probe takes down his assassination attempt, but Sharp is not pleased, and I was like, you're not the only mock man, you know. <laughs> Which uh, piques Probe's interest. 
Meanwhile, there's a new financial controller for like the Department of Secret stuff, I guess. <laughs> the super and, secret department of extra finance. Yeah, and so he wants to know what Sharp's spending all his money on, and he so Sharp is uh, takes the guys through a bunch of security, and we meet Mach Zero. Just like massive, massive yeah. man. Yeah, it turns out that before they started implanting computers into Mach Man's brains, the Mach Men were just super strong and super crazy. <laughs> like, Zero is basically just the Incredible Hulk with a Muppet based chest tattoo and is even less coherent, frankly. He hates Sharp, and when he sees Sharp, he goes nuts. He yeah. punches his way out of the facility. Oh, and- God. And meanwhile, Probe has stolen the Mach Zero file, and he promises to help Zero any way he can. Which, you know, pretty noble. Well, I think he realizes that, like, oh, this is a guy just like me who's been thrown aside. Like, I don't want to end up, you know, locked up in some basement laboratory or whatever. Exactly. Just because you become insubordinate or something. Yeah. Or, you know, go crazy and start threatening the Cathedral's countryside, as as Mach Zero does as he escapes. (laughs) Yeah. He kidnaps a random kid, thinking the kid is his son. <clears throat> a, a helicopter pursues him, and Zero throws a tree at it, which is pretty cool. Yep, because that helicopter explodes. Yeah, some troops follow Zero across this wooden bridge, and then Zero pegs a boulder at the bridge and destroys it. <laughs> uh, Sharp is he- is sending everything he can against Zero, and John Probe Mach 1 heads out to save him. So we end up with Mach Zero being chased by the army as Mach 1 tries to intervene. Mm-hmm. Zero is cornered in his own house, or in his old house before he became Mach Zero. Probe tries to talk some sense into him, but there's no use. The two have a massive, hyper-powered fight, and the army moves in. And, whew, have you ever said that many things about Mach 1? Other than, Mach- like, our first two episodes. Man, Mach 1's really, um, these are sort of the penultimate stories of Mach 1, like, yeah. I think I think next month might be the last, or, like, next, the next month of Progs is the is when they go on, on hiatus for a little bit, mm. and they're really going out strong, if you ask me. Yeah, I really feel like that. It, um, it really ramps up with this Mach Zero arc, and uh, yeah, even like before the, that, it was really fun. Yeah, the Planet Killer arc, the one that we just, that, that we started mm. off this Prog with, or th- this mm. month with, was really strong, and then Mach Zero is super awesome. I mean, the fact that he rides a missile into the ocean was pretty awesome. That's so good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's really anything else to say other than um, if there's anything that could be most improved. It went from, like, pretty alright to terrible to, like, Yeah, it's definitely made a a V in terms of its quality and stuff, which is always nice. Yeah. Like, actually quite thrilling. I looked forward to it the entire time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm burning to read more. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of burning, (laughs) Thrill 6 Inferno. Oh. Sometimes you you, got to pass it to yourself, Fox. That's just how it goes. (laughs) That was amazing. So, um... The uh, so our boys from Harlem are at a uh, official inquiry into the match fi- fixing um, accusations from the end of last episode. Mm. You know they each had like you know the salt gum was poisoned and they each had five thousand dollars found in their lockers. But five thousand no f- groats. Oh yeah, or something. But no fingerprints were found on the cash in their locker or on the poisoned salt gum, and so the uh, court dudes are find the charges against the heroes not proven, which is some sort of weird gray area between not guilty and innocent, or guilty and not guilty. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, we just couldn't prove it, so you're free to go, but you're, but, but their name's Mud in Washington, basically. Everybody thinks they're cheaters and stuff. Which, so, they they kind of go on this tirade for a moment about like, oh, you know, we've we're going to have to build ourselves up because everyone hates us because of this one thing. And all I'm thinking to myself is like, these were the people like, cause they're like Harlem, Harlem heroes used to mean something. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you used to participate in matches where like all of your team died, like constantly people thought that you were cheating or trying to murder something or like uh, the underdogs. 
no, nobody thought they were cheating. They were they were the underdogs. Everybody died right away. I don't think anybody. Oh no, I mean like as you go through the story, like the weird twists that it would take. It would be like suddenly everybody in the audience hates them, then suddenly everybody loves them again because they start doing this other thing. Yeah, like they've had struggles similar to this before. Maybe. Is what I'm saying. I don't know. I feel like, especially among their own home crowds, they've always had the crowd. You know, that's true. The only when they went on road games, they didn't. I uh, that said, yeah, I, I fucking love this comic. It's good, man. So to clear their names, they decide to found their own Inferno teams to show that, like, we didn't cheat because here we are winning more games on our own or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they decide to found their found a new team. On their way, they pass an illegal motorcycle race, and they meet a guy named Venner, who was kicked out of the Justice Judges, which is presumably a early form of the Judges of Judge Dredd, but like 50 mm. years earlier. But he was kicked out for being too violent and angry, and Giant recruits him to their team. They plan to turn the Harlem Aerodome into the infer- into a, an Inferno Stadium. Hey, but who's that dude with a weird face flying at us from the rafters? Oh, that nightmare man? It's Lewis! Whoa! Oh, snap. His yeah. brain is in some weird translucent skin. Yeah, well, now instead of a brain in a jar, he's a brain in a robot body, which is a definite upgrade. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, with four jetpack dudes and one bike dude, the heroes just need some more bike dudes and a caveman, which is a goaltender, basically, for their team. Uh, two bikers show up right away. One guy from the Wolves, that's Junk Jackson, and then the Wolves' former mechanic, who's now riding, named TJ Cash. Who's got magnificent hair. Mm-hmm. And then they recruit Moody Blue, who's the Wolves' former caveman, who sort of seems to have some de- developmental problems or something. <laughs> he is, they, he's got a temper. Yeah. They register their team as the Harlem Hellcats, but because they're just the newest team ever, they have to start in Division Four the lowest, crappiest Inferno division. Their first match is against Schaefer's Sickles. Which are weird. I'd like, I don't know what they're dressed as. Yeah, they're like bums or something, but like, or like evil carnival guys. Maybe. Was my first thing. <laughs> yeah, because of like the weird cat with the firework. Yeah, they arrive at the Sickles crappy arena and find the crowd doing like a demolition derby before the match. Mm-hmm. And we know the sickles are tough because they're, it's personified by their leader who has a uh, broken down old stovepipe hat <laughs> over his helmet. It's really great. Yeah. So we go to the start of the match. Uh, Harlem Hellcats versus Schaefer's Sickles. The sickles have an insulting mascot for the Hellcats. It's like a, a cat that's unhappy. <laughs> but also the Hellcats have a seemingly just pulled out of their butts some sweet motorcycles that have uh, cat faces on the front of yeah, them. Yeah, they had like they have a whole Thundercats regalia going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, a brawl breaks out before the match begins, but eventually things get going. The Hellcats fight amongst themselves and in the, uh, over their anger at each other and at the Sickles, and the Sickles get the first score. They're up by three. And uh, Giant does what Giant does best. And, yeah. Uh, you know, scolds. Exactly. <laughs> Though Venner remains a problem teammate, uh, Giant pulls a sweet fake with Zack and scores a, a cave-in to equalize. We get some more teamwork then, uh, both from the heroes and from the dudes on bikes, and the heroes pull ahead and eventually win, but they're accused of cheating again, this time cheating to win. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're like, ah, oh, we win, but I guess we'll just be the team they love to hate, whatever. But they still want to clear their name, and it seems like the only lead they have is that in Charlie <clears throat> Vance's, who's the manager that sold them out, they find a gambling chip for a place called the Crystal Maze. Which looks beautiful. Yeah, it's a really awesome, like, site. Like, this Crystal Maze is like, this big, like, crystal building and stuff. So everybody sort of piles into the Hellcat Mobile and goes to the Crystal Maze to investigate. <laughs> um, it's like a place with, like, gambling and hollow decks and stuff. It's basically Quarks, I guess, from Deep Space yeah, Nine. <laughs> exactly. But they, they ask the owner, Mr. Cullen, about Charlie Vance, and he says he hasn't seen him. But then they find a uh, a hollow display tourist photograph guy. Yeah. That's like, man, they used to, I don't know if they still have these, but I remember, like, especially in, like, a cruise ship, they'd have, oh, like, yeah. a guy who walks around taking pictures, and then you go to, like, their 
booth and they just have a ton of pictures hanging around that you can sort of buy as you as you please. Yep. And, and they find one that's got Charlie Vance meeting with Cullen, the owner of the casino, so they're in cahoots, we know. Which is oddly contextually like like super weird but helpful that they I mean, saw I, that. I don't know because we did he didn't get his mark when from what we saw, Vance didn't get his marching orders from this Cullen guy, he got it from that Mr. Torso guy mm. and like that Mr. Slug fella or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know if this is actually like a super duper lead, but Cullen seems to think it is. <laughs> Let's uh, do it. Moody Blue goes gets uh, goes crazy and punches out a robot, and there's like a, fi- a big fire, and the guys have to escape. <laughs> Cullen makes a run for it, and they follow him, and they go to a hollow deck that is like a meteor storm, a meteor shower hollow deck. Like you stand on a big rock, and then you see watch meteors fly around, and, and it looks really cool. Man, I don't know if I'd do that. And normally it'd be safe, but as always with all holodecks, there's a button <laughs> you can press that makes the holograms be able to kill you. Who would do that? Who would make something that could do that? Um, everyone who's ever designed a science fiction holodeck. I guess. It's just they must not be very good people. I mean, I agree with you that it's a terrible idea, but it's part of the code. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why they why in Star Trek they could make it, they have a holodeck and they're like, all right, let's make sure that if, we, if you want to, you can die in here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. Or like why the danger room in the X-Men has a button that says, all right, if you press this button, it'll just start killing everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Because those buttons get pressed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, and it's just like they wouldn't get pressed if they just weren't there. But there you go, I guess. It's like how, you know, normally like at a, at like a, uh, at a batting cage, they don't have a setting on the bat on, on the ball shooter that makes it a machine gun that can just murder <laughs> people at like 500 miles an hour. I like to think that they don't, but they probably do. I mean, you don't hear about it, but I guess, yeah, maybe some guy gets too close to the conspiracy at the batting cage, and that'll happen, I guess. Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, and also, you know, Inferno was all right. Yeah, so what'll happen? So what's going to happen with this investigation? And who, who's that next match? We'll see next 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 month with Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I, Fox. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? What's your top and bottom thrill this month? All right. Uh, so, Inferno was only alright, uh, I did enjoy it, um, Mm -hmm. but didn't get out there, um, obviously it's not Bonjo. (laughs) I might be counting Bonjo as a thrill, just because it takes up like a third of a page, like, that's not an eligible (laughs) choice, because otherwise that's the obvious choice, so you gotta make some hard decisions. That's the obvious choice. (laughs) Yeah, Bonjo's not great, man. Bonjo is the worst. Uh, so, really, for top, I'm going to go with Invasion, which is pretty rare for me. Nice. But damn, I loved it. Um, damn, I love Nessie coming back. Everything yeah, really feels like it's going at a good speed. It it just was really, really fun. Uh, mm-hmm. It would have gone to Mach 1, but Invasion was just so consistent and so hilarious. For sure. Uh, have, for bottom? Have, yeah. What's your bottom thrill? You know, I mean, I guess I, guess I could cop out and and kind of say the uh, the future shocks, but I, mm. I don't really want to. Um, I don't think that I have one. Okay, that's fair enough. Like to be honest, uh, all of it was pretty pretty bog standard. There was nothing that I just wasn't unhappy or that I was unhappy to read. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. That sounds reasonable. So how about you, man? Okay, my top thrill is Dan Dare. Actually, I really like. We know it's either Dan Dare or Mach One. Those two. Damn, yeah, those were really good. I just really like the big plots developing in Dan Dare, and just Mach yeah. 1 was so, had so much cool stuff, man. He rode that missile, and that's just so cool. Like, just that one, that one prog where he freezes everybody to death with the hydrogen, and then he rides the missile, and he, you know, causes a big, ex- you know, and he causes a big explosion that he runs away from and doesn't look at. Yeah, man, the and then Mach and Zero just blowing things up with his fists. And then I love a Hulk character, so Mach Zero oh, is really yeah. fun, too. Uh, so yeah, both of those are basically sort of tied for my top. I'd say if I had to choose one, Mach 1 would probably be my choice. Uh, for bottom thrill, I kind of, you know, I said I didn't choose one last week, and I kind of feel bad about it. Um, <laughs> I kind of want to say, I, 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 it feels like sort of, yeah, just passing doesn't feel good. So I'm going to say, actually, uh, 
Inferno's my bottom thrill. It's not that it's bad. It's just that, um, like, we've sort of seen this sort of, oh, let's go out in the wilderness and kind of build a team like that. We've seen that in the previous Harlem Heroes, and it happened so fast. It was kind of like, oh, okay, so I guess this is going to be a problem. We sort of hand-waved it away. And then, like, this thing to the the casino or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's... Like, the art's cool, and it's a cool thing and stuff, but honestly, like, I'm here for future sports, you know? Like, yeah, and I still don't understand how this game is played. Yeah, like, like hanging out in futuristic settings is cool, but I can get that in, in Dan Dare and Judge Dredd and a lot mm-hmm. of stuff. Like, what they don't have is crazy motorcycle, fire, jetpack, future sports. And so, you know, we had, like, two progs worth of, worth of matches this, um, this game, and that's mm-hmm. not enough. If you ask me, no. So, you know, like this is like a C minus or something. It's not like D's and F's that bottom progs have gotten in the past, but it's still like I, I think they can do better. I would like them to do better. Yeah, well, and we've seen them do better. Yeah, you know. So I don't think that it's wrong to have the expectation. For sure. Yeah. Anyhow, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or our fancy uh, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're Space Spinner 2K, and for everything else, just look up Space Spinner 2000, and we should be there. Tune in next week, where, since we've now reached the end of the year 1977 in our Prague timeline, we'll take a break from comics to review this first year of 2000 AD. We'll talk about our favorite progs, stories, and art, and give out awards for our favorites. It's the first annual Spinnies on the next Space Spinner 2000. <laughs> Fucking Spinnies. Yeah. Until next week, I'm Conrad Hughes Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Spud Doug Birth Ring. <laughs>